Is that what I'm saying? Rough Trade Radio. 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 How's that? Hello and welcome to this episode of Rough Trade Radio. I am Liv Siddle and I'm joined here today by Stephen and Michael of Moshi Moshi Music. Hello, you two. Hello, Liv. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Good, thanks. Yeah, You're very right. well. Fantastic. Um, thank you for coming in today. We invited you in because you are the Rough Trade label focus this month. Yes. Um, <laughs> very excited. Finally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so congratulations about that. Um, and also, I suppose it's quite good timing because in August, uh, Girl Ray, one of your artists, is also the Rough Trade albums of the month. So um, very nice. And congrats about that as well. Great band. Um, and so anyone who doesn't know about Moshi Moshi... And actually, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably would know, but I'm going to give a kind of vague um, history of them. Um, company began, and if any of this is wrong, please just say. <laughs> Are this you is reading Wikipedia? A little bit of Wikipedia, <laughs> and a little bit of interviews, and loads of other stuff. I watched a video interview with you with some like French guy that was really funny. Oh, really? I'm sure that was a classic. <laughs> you didn't seem that keen to be there in the interview. Um, uh, it's not going to be a good interview then, is nah, it? No, I just stopped watching it. <laughs> I'll show you later. Um, so the company began as a label back in 1998 and uh, and literally sort of defined an era by providing us with artists such as Block Party, Hot Chip, Kate Nash, Florence and the Machine, Tilly and the Wall and a whole bunch of others. And these days it's a label and a management company representing amazing artists such as uh, one of my faves, Wesley Gonzalez, Girl Ray, Sweet Baboo, Alexis Taylor, Anna Meredith and the wonderful Mailer Jones, Slow Club, Teleman, bunch of others. Um, and next year, is it true you'll be celebrating 20 years of doing what you do? Oh, yeah. Yes. Wow. Congrats. 20 years. How does that feel? Um, it feels a lot feels a lot nicer than you'd imagine, I think, in a way. It gets to a certain point where having a legacy or being um, seen as a grown-up as a company uh, becomes kind of a nice thing. You know, you can become proud of and protective of that, really. I mean, it's only sort of revealed itself to me in the last couple of years I think that I don't know what you feel um but yeah I think it's something to actually be proud of I mean you know 20 years ago it would seem uh you'd just laugh and say I'll never be that old even you know oh like, but now God. it's like yeah it's kind of cool um I was reading a little bit about um your 10 year party that you had at Matter that that club that used to be in the Millennium Dome where you had lots of bands playing what do you remember from that night uh, I remember thinking, let's never do this again. <laughs> <laughs> Who did you have playing? Uh, Hot Chip, Florence and the Machine, uh, Kate Nash, Wave Pictures, Slow Club, The Meishi, and Tilly and the Wall. I wow! Think. I mean, it was a great night. Don't don't get me wrong. It was it was actually quite moving at points. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of work. And I remember thinking, this is. <laughs> too many people <laughs> what are you going to do next let's never, run a, let's never run a super club well for our 15th birthday we did uh, gigs in the servants jazz quarters in mm. Dalston which holds about 50 to 100 people so yeah. I would imagine for our 20th something in between something, something even smaller <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just go around to Stephen's house and have yeah. dinner <laughs> I just the, the thing at matter there was so much security so if we had as many people at the next thing as they had security at Matter, I think it would be just about the right thing. Yeah, that place was quite intense, wasn't it? Was it? I remember going during that sort of era. Yeah. And it was sort of like fabric, but with bands. And it was just yeah. very intense. Yeah, totally. I don't know what a load of Hot Chip fans 
we're going to do to the club. You no, know? no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a really wild bunch. Cause a bunch of trouble. Um, so I've invited you to chat about the label, but also take us through some records that have kind of defined Moshi Moshi over the years. Um, hopefully records that we actually sell. I think we probably do. How, what's your relationship been with Rough Trade over the years since the beginning? Well, I think Nigel kind of helped me get my first job in music. Really? Yeah, when I worked um, in Crawley Air Price back in the <laughs> mid-90s, <laughs> and I wanted to um, work in music properly, um, my sister's boyfriend at the time played football with Nigel, so he had a word with Nigel and and Nigel used to let me know about any jobs going. Oh, that's nice. Before I'd even met him, so yes, it was very nice. And what was the first job that he hooked you up with? Um, well, I never got any of them. Uh, <laughs> it was actually the job that I uh, the job that I ended up getting was um, a company called Mother Records, and that was something Stephen um, put me in touch with, and that's how I met Stephen actually. Yeah, I was going to ask how you two met. As if you're sort of... Yeah, it was pre-Tinder. So <laughs> uh, I went to school with my... I went to university with Michael's sister. Where was that? Uh, Southampton <laughs> University. Cool. <laughs> this podcast is really going downhill. <laughs> uh, yeah, so she asked me if I could also look out for jobs. But she hooked us up on a sort of blind date. We went to Reading Festival together and got on like a house on fire. That's great. Do you remember who played that year? What year was it? Who watches the bands? Yeah. yeah. I mean, God. <laughs> 96 it would have been, I think. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I I never watched any bands at Reading. No, just I don't set think. fire to stuff instead. <laughs> yeah, we just, yeah. Tyres, <clears throat> plastic bags. Um, so then what happened kind of after you'd met and hung out at Reading and then um, I guess you were working, were you both working in music then at the same time and then decided to form something together with Adrian was it yeah I'd uh I before I met Michael had blagged my way into the music industry and was working at go discs desperately trying not to be rumbled as not having a clue um so and uh Adrian then was doing press Michael was working at mother and we just decided we'd do something on our own but try and do it properly you know we obviously all had an inkling of what was going on and what you should do so I think although it was initially a bedroom label like they always are, it was always with the aspirations of doing a good job on the releases, you know, we weren't totally clueless. So, um, yeah, I think we felt the responsibility from the start. So that was back in 1998. I mean, the music yeah. industry couldn't quite have changed more since then in that sort of 19 years. I mean, it's changed, yeah. It changes <laughs> faster and faster, really. But yeah. It's probably changed since we've been in this room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Um, so what were you setting out to do back then at the beginning, That you know, in 98? I don't think we had any grand plans other than um, just releasing stuff that we liked. Stephen was doing A&R at Go Discs and... He was coming across stuff that he couldn't really do through there um, for various reasons. So um, we were just doing it ourselves, just like the idea of having that um, independence, being able to release things we liked. And was it quite straightforward to set that up? I suppose these days you might there might be so much competition to do similar stuff. Would it Was it a bit easier back then? Um, I, I would say probably not in a way. It wasn't like you couldn't set up a cool blog and have a funky name and a logo <laughs> and like run that for six months and then, you know, have a brand. I mean, we weren't 
we weren't trying to have a brand or anything. I mean, I don't. I think we, you know, we had an idea of what sort of music it was going to be. You know, it wasn't going to be mainstream. Um, you had to still persuade the bands to do it. I mean, everything was harder. You know, you couldn't even email. You had to phone people up or write letters. I mean, it was sort of all, all these sort of practical things make it so much harder. Um, so. Uh, I can't remember. Was it hard? Were you asking if it was hard yeah, or was now? It, was it di- yeah. I uh, suppose, was that, who were you, what other sort of smaller labels were you looking at as kind of, not maybe not competition, but sort of doing something that... I think the people that I liked was, were always sort of kind of Warp and Domino and this weird label called Well, It's a Jukebox. And it was probably, in a, in a sense, you know, doing stuff that would be up on the walls in Rough Trade was probably one of the, you know, I mean, we're here, but it's a sort of example of where we were trying to get noticed. It wasn't trying to um you know we weren't trying to not find the next big thing it was it was the, the grassroots stuff and the and the and the, the the different stuff you know so um just wanting to establish your own thing slowly but surely i mean it wasn't a big grand plan but but in my mind it was always quite serious at the same time you know fun yet serious i don't know did you set out with a kind of um like a kind of temp like a uh, not a template, a kind of like a motto or a agenda that's something that maybe you decided like if we're not doing this, we're going to stop. Just that we love the stuff, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, we never had it. I think you're crediting us <laughs> with a little bit too much <laughs> sophistication. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that attitude you had at the very beginning when you started it up, that's continued throughout. Yeah, it sort of evolved when we started doing it. It was you, you know the first single we put out. Um, kind of just did it and then as you do more stuff that what the label is and what you represent and how you operate evolves from that and and you know it's not so you've done a few releases and been going for a while that you get a sense of for us certainly got a sense of what we were trying to achieve and how we were going to do it i think i always wanted things to look good you know mm. i wanted people to be proud of what it looked like whether it's the artists or us and that whole thing of it being on a wall in a record shop, you know, I've always bought records on how they look as much as if, if, you know, if I don't know them, if I look good. Yeah. And just things like the original idea was to be like, well, it's a jukebox and fold things up and put them in plastic wallets, you know, which we did for the first couple. But then it soon becomes really painful and takes a long time. And, and at the time was impractical, you know, buying all the stuff, you know. But things like the second release was very different from the first, and I quite liked that. And also, it looked, I was probably much happier with how it looked. It was really extreme and um, sort of simple and, and looked like a looked like a sort of weird white label thing, and yet sounded cool. really, really bonkers. And in some ways, it sounds sort of, it's not dissimilar to Nautilus by Anna Meredith. That sort of second release was what I realised recently. It's sort of, in a way, we're still doing the same thing like the first record was a, a poppy poppyish thing and then the next what one was, was a slab of noise what really, was the first record a uh, suck patch they were called oh, okay a band from minneapolis and the second record was a guy called zan lines who uh was from london and just made an awful lot of noise <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like a you know an ambient wash for for 30 seconds or so and then a massive drum beat and then just goes into an ambient wash it's Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, maybe we should play brilliant. one now in the podcast. Do you want to pick one from the very early days? I mean, uh, uh, oh, we'll play Zan Lines. Well, I don't know if we 
If we've Jennifer, got, you've it. got it anywhere. <laughs> you should play Suck Patch and then a bit of Suck Patch and a bit of Zan Lyons okay. and just sort of see. And then I think in a weird way, we're still doing kind of exactly the same. But, you know, Sweet Baboo and Anna Meredith next to each other are kind of not a dissimilar contrast. Cool. Which I sort of think is quite nice. And that's pretty much a complete accident, really, isn't it, I guess. Can you introduce a track from Suck Patch to start with? Uh, this is Stray Persuasion by Suckpatch. Yeah. 
Great. Um, so I was going to ask you uh, as well, back in the because you've always had amazing artwork, and as you say, you wanted it to be seen on a record store wall and, and picked out. At the beginning, how did you find artists to make album artwork? Did you just have contacts already? We'd mostly, I think, have always got the bands to do the artwork, which oh, really? was another part of the ethos, because I always think a band... Uh, should know how to present themselves. Like a good band is pretty aware that all they're doing is communicating and every way that they communicate with their audience is important and therefore they should have an eye for what they're going to look like on, on a record sleeve, etc. Um, and I think that's the case. I don't know. I mean, maybe there was a couple of early ones where we helped out with artwork, but the artists were always involved. Um, I mean, that idea doesn't always work because some of the artists aren't actually as good as it as others you know yeah um the wave pictures designed their own didn't they throughout oh yeah yeah i mean they and i mean i love their artwork it's, it's sort of a certain style i mean i love everything it's pointless asking me about the wave pictures but they <laughs> i think they're really you know they have their distinctive style style and it comes through and you'll recognize one of their sleeves um yeah but i think i mean maybe maybe you've got a better memory of who did artwork on the first ones I think it was um it was matt matt did some didn't he yeah um yeah and the hot chips uh it was their friend darren who oh did yeah the early sleep and owen actually from hot chip um, yeah but they're they're a good example you know they've always done their own artwork they've always known what they want to look it's like and they've been always been brilliant you yeah. know and they dress always brilliantly and it's all thought out they're sort of pretty wise they're sort of perfect band they're a really good example of a band that knows what they're doing and has good control and you look at their career i think as a result it it sort of shines through as a good example i think that's great giving the artists control into what they're you know their how they're going to be represented visually i think a lot of a lot of artists i speak to always complain that their press photos they think are hideous and when they see them on the side of a bus they're like oh my god but, you know, giving the artist a choice in how they're represented is, is quite a good thing, especially, I suppose, with someone like Hot Chip, who are mm. going to nail it every time. Mm. Can you tell me how you first came across Hot Chip? Uh, we, were putting on little, we were putting on nights at the Buffalo Bar. Um, like, in Highbury? Yeah. Like, we've sort of done monthly nights on and off for ages now, you know, 15 years or so. And it was... Um, I'd asked Ardem to do it, Ardem Illen, because I were, in my day job I were, signed Fridge, so I worked with them, and Ardem wouldn't do it, but he said, oh, you should check out these guys and um, introduce me to Joe from Hot Chip, who sent me some demos and just loved them instantly. Um, so that's how come we met them. And he was, I've told this before, but I was, and my had a day job at the time, I was working at Island Records doing A&R and was playing them, hot chip demos in the office and some head poked around the corner saying why are you playing hot chip and i was like how the hell do you even know and he was like it's joe, i'm joe it's me no <laughs> and way. he was doing work experience at <laughs> island at the time so then it went from there what were they like back then at the very beginning much the same as they are <laughs> <laughs> thoughtful and fun and intimidatingly intelligent yes that is their vibe isn't it um, I suppose on like when Hot Chip became really big, it was sort of in that what year was it like two thousand and five to two thousand and nine yes. sort of area, and in that little tiny nugget of time, there were also so many other bands that you were putting out that kind of defined 
that maybe even sort of decade really in terms of indie music. How come you managed to just nail all those bands and do that? Were you just going out and seeing bands all the time and just finding the best stuff? It just seems like you guys probably had the best taste back then for what the, everyone wanted. <laughs> That's one for you. Uh, I mean, I wish it was. I wish it was as great as that sounds. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, we were, because we decided we would just do the singles, so we started the singles club, maybe it was about then. So we'd offer bands a chance to do a, a, a single and it would make it really as easy as possible. It just freed us up an awful lot um, to get music out that we wanted uh, to do, which was, you know, the idea of it. So it just made, makes you so flexible, which is sort of the beauty of being an indie. Like the, I always had a day job until a few years ago at a, a major doing A&R and, and you're hamstrung because they just don't have the the processes to let you do anything like that you know they freak out if there's not an album option at least or five yeah. five you know so um i guess it just it just freed us up to do a lot at the time and and it was just it's just that sort of left field pop music you know i think it was a time when those artists were having a lot of success as well it was it, it, it sort of cuts both ways in a way um the the bands that we were we're not really doing anything different now to what we were doing then but but the the maybe the marketplace or the the scene is is different now to how it was then yeah I mean, it certainly feels harder these days to, to have that kind of success what, what do we you were mean based, well we were based in london as well maybe Lyme, london was just kind of vibrant at that time you know yeah much like then it went on to be brooklyn and perhaps perhaps for now it's going to be provinces or something for a while <laughs> yeah, i don't know, don't know. Sort of goes, it can be cyclical um um i don't know i've not really thought of it as being i think you know there was other pockets of success surely at that time maybe london was a different time back then i'm surprised that you had a full-time a&r job at ireland and you were locating loads of amazing bands and, and finding them so you must be going out a lot and you were running moshy moshy how did you do that well, Michael did the main work at Moshi. Mm. I was just doing A and R and hustling, so it was, you know, it was fine. It was just you do A and R, you just do A and R. I mean, yeah, same as the day job. It just meant that I could actually release some things, whereas in the day job, I wasn't really getting to do a lot of that. And then a few years ago, you went full time Moshi Moshi. Yeah, um, five or five years ago, seven years ago. Oh God knows, I don't know. Do you ever miss doing A&R for Ireland and that kind of stuff? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I miss A&R don't, meetings. Don't burn any bridges. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone, there's a l tons of brilliant people at those companies and I always enjoyed working them. I have no fear of major labels and there's some really uh, honest, heartful people who love their job and love music. Um, so, yeah, I miss it. And, you know, A&R meetings are a hoot. You just sit there and bitch. <laughs> what, what happens at an A&R meeting? <laughs> you just bitch about, you know. Uh, do, you, do people play music and uh, then everyone goes yeah, like, turn it off? Yeah, yeah. You can then say you get a good opportunity to slag off your fellow A&R people who are playing music and you work with and then obviously slag off every other label and A&R <laughs> and people and slag off a lot of bands. Um, so they were sort of kind of fun, you know. And you get a nice camaraderie. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
I think a lot of working in the music industry is, is camaraderie, isn't it? Because it's just you're hanging out with bands a lot of the time, maybe going out a lot. There's a lot of people always doing fun stuff and there's always new people coming on the scene. It is quite like a social, fun place to work, really. Mm. Always new, exciting things happening. Yeah, it's quite a small community. It's a great lesson in karma I've learned working in the music industry. What do you mean? Just be nice to everyone because at some point you're going to come across them again and you'll probably be working for them next time. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> What's the relationship like with your artists at the moment? Is it quite a close one? Oh, yeah, it has to be. I mean, we're only a small business, so, um, you know, we're, we're all interacting with the bands all the time. A lot of the bands that we've worked with in the past um some of my best friends now you know I, I go out drinking with members of various uh bands that we've released record records by over the years and yeah it's it's the nature of, of being an independent label and and you know having a small operation and that's and, one of the nice yeah. things about it i mean in a way they're our co-workers you know because they work hard we work hard for them and you're working together for the same thing yeah. so I feel I feel like you end up being mates like you are with your workmates in a weird way, rather that it's not so much, you know, you're not so much an us and them sort of thing, I guess, the way we work. Um, but there's a kind of closeness there, I suppose. Maybe there was something different. <laughs> um, maybe we should play a track by someone that you have got on the moment who's just released something, maybe like Wares or something like that. Anyone that you want to play a track by? Uh, well... We could do Girl Ray if we... Um, That's a good idea. See if their album's coming out. Rough uh, Trade favourites at the moment. On getting, Friday. Could you getting... explain to anyone um, listening who doesn't know about Girl Ray what they are? Uh, yeah, there are three P's from London, three girls. Um, and I think I worked out that they might actually be younger than the label, the first band oh that we worked with who <laughs> were born when we started doing this. But um, yeah, they're brilliant. They've, they're, they're so... Um, for their age and for how long they've been doing it, that that it's a very mature sounding record, and they, um, it's uh, it's, it seems to be going down really well. Everyone's really into it, so um, yeah, I think they've got a bright future ahead of them. I think so. Yeah, they're very professional. From when I've spoken to them, they're very. They've got like, I don't know. They seem to be on one. They're like, right, let's do this. Poppy seems to be anyway. Just <laughs> driving force. She's a she's a boss. She's a control freak. <laughs> I think most bands are these days compared yeah. to when we first started out. I think bands are a lot wiser and a lot more serious about what they do now. It's quite scary. They're only eighteen, though, isn't it? And they've got that kind of anyway. They're nineteen. Nineteen. Um, can you pick a track by them? Um, back at ten. Yeah, yeah, I love that song. This is Don't Go Back at Ten by Girl Ray. Yeah. 
So that was Don't Go Back at 10 by Girl Ray. Fantastic. Rough Trades album of the month for August. It says September then. It's definitely August. Um, so what was it you wanted to talk about just then? Oh, another track to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Surfing Magazine's track I thought might be good to play. When was that released? That comes out oh. on... 1st of September. Thank you. I think. Uh, and that's sort of a super group up between two of the wave pitchers, Dave and Frannick and Charles from Slow Club. Obviously bands that we've worked with for years, like the wave pitchers are, are my sort of passion band. That I'll, yeah. You know, I love everything they do. They can do no <laughs> wrong. Um, and we'll support them, whatever. Um, in a way, my dream job would be to retire from everything and just manage the wave pitchers, you know, and oh my God. <laughs> travel the world with them as a roadie. You really love them. Um, and Charles from Slow Club, who we've released four albums with and who I think are totally brilliant um, to just sort of, I guess, the sort of things you do as an indie label, you know, you support these bands as much as you can. I think they've made an album together that is really good fun and sort of really happy to be releasing. Um, so, yeah, I should play a track from that. Maybe New Day, which is a bit of a banger. Can you introduce it like a radio host? Uh, I can try. Uh, this is The Surfing Magazines with New Day. <laughs>
That was The Surfing <laughs> Magazines with New Day. That sounds better. Mine was a bit smooth. No, it was great. Smooth FM. <laughs> that's, that's nice that you've kind of brought two bands together and they've made another band. It's a bit like having grandchildren or something. Incestuous grandchildren. Incestuous grandchildren. The name of Slow Club's next album. Um, So, how did you? uh, How do you go about finding new bands now? Have you got enough on your roster, or do you still go out and look for new stuff all the time? Are you kind of? Do you ever reach a point where you've got too many and you're like, ugh? Yeah, we Stephen and I have a conversation every six months where I say we've got too many. <laughs> Can you stop finding new bands? And then uh, he says, "Yeah, okay." And then a couple of days later, goes, "It's just this one that I've uh, I've just come across." Um, so you know, you can't if something comes along that's great, you have to do it. Really, you can't. You'd be kicking yourself if you pass something out because you thought you had too much on. Yeah, totally. It's always been our problem. I think we 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 tend to do a lot of stuff, and that's simply because when we like something, we find it very hard to say no for business reasons. <laughs> <laughs> any gr- any grown up record label would uh, you know would say, oh well, we've we've got too much on, but we tend to go, oh, all right, I think we can squeeze them in. Squeeze them in, yeah. Uh, I read that years ago you. <laughs> Oh, well, this is an interview from like 2008, but you kind of saw a couple of bands that went on to be quite big and you didn't sign them. I think one of them was Foles or um, yeah. Vampire Weekend or anything, but that was so long ago. Are there any bands in the past sort of five years that you've seen and thought like, mm, nah, and actually have gone on to be to be quite big? Or does it happen less these days? I mean, I always regret that we didn't work with Kate Le Bon, who's a genius, um, only because I think, you know, still think she's brilliant. Um, but not. I mean, I don't really, I don't really regret losing bands that go on to be massive just because they're massive. I think it's more like, oh yeah, they're sort of the sort of band we should be working with. Um, I don't know, Michael. I can't think of any. You're probably getting better at it, aren't you? I can't remember anything <laughs> in the last few years. What's it like to see um, bands and artists that you worked with long ago that have now gone on to kind of pastures new, like? incestuous grandchildren flying yeah. the nest <laughs> do you still keep in touch and that and that's nice to to see them yeah with uh yeah with some of them it, it, it's we don't it's nice to see them having success i don't think we bear any uh ill feeling if no they've got to um they've got to make their own career and do 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 the best they can for themselves we get a sort of residual glow from their uh from their success that's nice yeah. What's your? We're pretty happy, I think. That's good. With our lot, you know. <laughs> I think it's. Uh, I've always, we, I think we've always been concerned of doing a good job, you know, and like continuing to do that. And I think we're getting better at that. I mean, you know, for all the laughs and everything, we work damn hard, you know. So I think we've learned how to do that and are getting better at it. And and you know, the little staff we have are brilliant and and efficient and um, so. Oh, we're fine and you know it's great to see people that you have always admired anyway because you wouldn't have worked with them do well so it's all good really how many staff do you have now at Moshi Moshi uh, well it's three. Uh, it's, it's okay <laughs> <laughs> three officially wow it's so tiny but we do have other people who kind of work with us that's um, on the label side three and then it. management side there's sort of a different setup. Yeah, people are often surprised at how few of us they are. This perception that uh, Moshi Moshi's bigger. 
Yeah, it's not very many. I thought you were going to say like six or seven or something. But I guess you guys just probably work very hard and get it all done yourselves. Do you have interns? Uh, yeah, we have done. <laughs> you were surprised at how efficient we are. You're just looking at us and saying, you Herberts can actually, <laughs> you can type. No, I don't know. It's just a lot. It's a lot to do. You do label and management. You know, it's it's a lot of stuff. Oh, and yeah, you've got to go like... out and find the bands. And, you know, working in this industry, you've got to go and do all the festivals and it's tiring. Yeah. You've got to go and do all that stuff. There's three other stuff on the management side. And um, we work yeah. we work with um, other companies that take care of a lot of the stuff for us. So, you, you know, your, your press, your radio promotion and all that is yeah. done by... Um, they're separate companies. So a lot of it is you know, finding a team and putting the team together of people that you know are good and work well, and then it kind of takes care of itself. All you're doing is overseeing what they're doing in a way. Yeah. So, you know, it's not a case that we have to do everything. It's putting the team together and then managing the team. Delegating. The art of delegation. <laughs> <laughs> Shirking. Uh, let's play some more music. What else have you got on your list of things that you'd like to play? I thought we should play Anna Meredith. That's a good idea. Um, because I think she's someone, another perfect Moshi act in a sense. She's got so much character and is so honest about everything she does, has no pretense, and yet is making sort of incredible music that doesn't sound like anything else. And the more you listen to it, the more pop almost it becomes, you know, not that she's in any way a pop artist but I just think it's actually quite palatable when you really listen to it although I'll probably then play the least palatable song (laughs) (laughs) No, she is sort of regarded as a bit of a genius isn't she she's kind of more of a composer she was yeah or she was that's what she yeah that's that's her her career is as a composer so the stuff we've released is her becoming a creator a musician herself and then after that she's become a performer as well over the few years we've worked with her um as Anna Meredith, you know, so it's been really satisfying to see her growth and, and you know, I think she's one of the most exciting live bands around um, as well and, you know, she's worked super hard at it. Uh, so it's been, she's a, a bit of a triumph for us, I think, really. When did you first see her play or when did you first meet her? Um, it, I don't know, it was quite a long time ago now, I guess five years or so. I was told about her by... Mara Carlyle, I think maybe, or um, and um, went to meet her and and just heard Nautilus and was incredible, you know. Um, so persuaded her to do the first release that we did with her. I don't think I'd seen her play properly when we did it. Actually, I went and saw a weird version of Anna Meredith's band at Union Chapel one time. That's sort of not like it is now at all. But even that was great. Cool. Which track would you like to play? Uh, Nautilus, I think. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, Nautilus. Then maybe you should play that Zan Lyons track if you can find it afterwards and see the sort of slight similarity. Okay, this is Nautilus by Anna Meredith, followed by, can you say that again? Zan Lyons and Suicide, I think, was the track. Zan Lyons and Suicide. Thank you. 
Okay, so that was Anna Meredith with Nautilus and... Say it again. Uh, Zan Lyons <laughs> and Suicide. Lyons and Suicide. Um, so another a, a newer artist you've signed. I don't know when you signed Wesley Gonzalez. Uh, a few years ago? Uh, a year ago, I suppose. We manage him as well. Um, so I don't know. We were, must have been working with him for 18 months at least. How did you first come across Wes? Just sort of friends of friends, really. He just hangs out with a lot of the bands we know, you know. Yeah. So he, Wes used to be in Let's Wrestle and then he had a bit of a, a creative hiatus, <laughs> maybe you could say. <laughs> he just wrote this article for Rough Trade magazine where uh, it's called A Misery Map of Dalston and it's him taking me on a tour through Dalston of all the places that he spent couple of years of his life after Let's Wrestle just being very depressed, working in the Haggerston, not really doing much. And yeah. his depression kind of caused him to start being creative again and begin to make music. And yeah. he's got an amazing uh, new album out called Excellent Musician, which is the product of, of that time. Yeah, he's, a, he's a good good at making depression sound fun. Yes, very <laughs> fun. Uh, he's an amazing guy. Um, how closely did you work with him on Excellent Musician? Uh, he produced it himself and kept sending mixes. I mean, I I think I'd be lying if to say we worked a whole lot on it. You know, I think he knew where where he was wanting to get to, um, and and just it didn't need much working with really. You know, it took a while, but I think that's just practical side of getting mixes in and things like that. Um, went to a lot of shows. Every show I've seen has been brilliant. Um, I think he's a actually quite a thoughtful person, and and it's not all th- just thrown together at all. You know, I think he's is in his own way incredibly professional. Yeah, I think so. Mm. As his album title would suggest, mm. he's an excellent yeah, yeah. musician. <laughs> um, is there a track you'd like to play off that album, or a new track? No new tracks yet. Um, we'd like to play "Come Through and See Me," wouldn't we, Michael? <laughs> yes. By Wesley Gonzalez from the album "Excellent Musician."
was Wesley Gonzalez and Come Through and See Me from his excellent album, Excellent Musician. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> um, so maybe we'll do now a kind of flashback to days gone by, an artist from maybe the kind of noughties era, something that is going to make you feel all nostalgic and... I don't know. Does listening to stuff from then make you feel nostalgic, or do you ever kind of, you know, put on an old mix and you're like, oh, there's the days, <laughs> the indie days? Yeah, I do. I was listening to Tilly and the Wolves' first album um, last week, which I haven't listened to in years, and that brought back some memories, good memories. Yeah, I, occasionally a cafe I go into might occasionally play Mates of State. We released a Mates of State album, I yeah. don't know if you remember that or listen to them, and it always sounds absolutely brilliant, you know. And a lo- there's a lot of those bands you think, oh, you know, you don't understand why they didn't do better at the time. I mean, mm. we, we were working with a few American bands at that point, which we've actually stopped doing, or like a sort of semi-conscious decision. Um, but yeah. Some, I think a lot of the records still sound good, Architecture in Helsinki as well. But they were, you know, that was a 16-piece band who from Australia <laughs> when we were working with them, you know, the, the practicalities were pretty... Are they still together? ...stacked against us. I'm not, I think they've slimmed down to a three-piece now and released a record <laughs> a, a good idea. few years ago. That was kind of iconic, that record though, wasn't it, at the time? It was very, very popular. Yeah, it was brilliant. They were, it was just fresh and sounded like themselves and uh you know they were making great weird chonky videos one on a roller coaster which is <laughs> great i mean <laughs> i think we've all oh, we've had some pretty good videos over the years as well i mean always quite proud of that and that again is always always been down to the bands pretty much is that a big treat or an expense to do a video is that something that you you don't really just do willy-nilly you're like right okay especially nowadays i mean i suppose back then it's probably more important yeah it was more expensive back in those days um these days it's it doesn't cost a lot and often the best videos are the ones that don't cost a lot because yeah. they're the ones that have a good idea um i think all of our favorite videos are ones that were made on a shoestring yeah, I think we, we push people to do them, you know. Yeah. Because you're working with the right people. Like I say, they've got good ideas. It's just facilitating them to make them. Um, so, you know, it. we just we don't give them big budgets, but we'll encourage them and help as much as possible. And I think, uh, I think it's always been a worthwhile experiment. I think so. Yeah. And I think you're right about something a bit more lo-fi is better. Like the kind of the, Wes, the Wesley Gonzalez videos are very... Um, yeah, I guess lo-fi is sort of him in a betting shop. And, you know, the Girl Ray videos, it's it's them dressing up in, in period costume and acting out a, a romantic story in one of their mates' houses. Like, that's kind of what you need from videos these days, isn't it? Rather than these big budget kind of... Um... I think, I think you you know, you, you're trying to break a new pop artist. Everybody's desperate to break the internet. Yeah. And uh, you try and do that, you're always going to trip up. Better totally. just to make something interesting. And I think a lot of our artists... If you look back and they've got a catalogue of interesting videos, that's way more important than trying to make one massive one, you know. I think it's more honest and, and, and intimate as well. It's not you can see that you can really see the band and feel like you get to know them a bit better if they've they've done something themselves and not spent a lot of money on it. Yeah. It shows <laughs> In their a weird character kind of way. It. Yeah, absolutely. I think we were kind of leading up to play a song, but then we kind of forgot to oh, play yeah. it. Sorry, we were going to play um, Hot Club to Parry and sometimes it's better not to stick bits of each other in each other for each other. 
uh, as a band, that, <laughs> as a as an older band, you know, one that um, was really fun to work with and marks out a time. You know, we used to spend a lot of time with them in the backyard of the Fort Ring Fallback in Finsbury Park. Oh, great um, <laughs> Before it before it turned into the Ewok Village. Um, Ewok Village. Yeah. What's that? Like the crazy sort of chair system they've oh, got that. You know? yeah <laughs> it used to just be a little dirty <laughs> yard um i think it really defines a moment and you know they were did really well at the time and then we sent them off they went off to chicago to record their next record and nearly bankrupted us but um still this out al- this album this song is just so sort of fresh sounding and they're great people and we're still sort of in- a pull from hot club does a lot of our artwork these days cool um so yeah it's a good song can you introduce it Again, this is Hot Club to Parry with Sometimes It's Better Not to Stick Bits of Each Other in Each Other for Each Other. was Hot Club to Parry with sometimes it's better not to stick bits of each other in each other for each other. <laughs> better. Sometimes it's better. Apologies. Um, great. Well, I think that's kind of, I mean, that's it really. I mean, as we could probably just talk about your history for much longer, but 
I suppose it's probably best to leave on a kind of future note. So what are you looking forward to doing in the next sort of five years and who are you excited about and have you got any big plans or anything? Well, we started doing a festival now down in Margate, um, which is we have big plans for. Um, Releases-wise, we've got... I'm not sure what we what we can discuss at this point, what we can mention from... Oh, yeah, yeah we've got no. a new band which we're pretty excited about, which we can't mention. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there is, there is um, new Teleman Radio stuff. Radio Gold. <coughs> new Teleman stuff. Teleman have recorded an EP with five different producers... Um, just to get to get something out before they start on their next record, which I think is is really good. There's a Charles Watson from Slow Club solo album next year. I think we can mention that, can't we? Um, what, else? <laughs> <laughs> what else? What else is there for next year? I think there'll I mean, be another Anna Meredith record next year. Oh, yeah. Anna's started yeah. writing again. We've announced everything we're releasing this year. So that is Surfing Magazines, Girl Ray. Um, there's another record this year. Kieran Leonard. Kieran Leonard has got a new record, which is really beautiful. And Great. then he's also already working on another album for next year. And like he's a he's another artist we haven't mentioned, but I think super exciting. You know, a really got a really strong idea of what he wants to do, and what he wants to do is always pretty thrilling and pushing boundaries and just sort of you know bonkers and a brilliant performer. So. Always excited to see what he's going to do. Maybe we could end on a Kieran Leonard track, if you like. Yes, we should. Let's finish on Kieran Leonard and Living With Your Ailments. Um, before that track starts, um, let's say goodbye first. Um, so thank you for coming in. And yeah, good luck with everything. And anyone uh, listening, just go and, you know, re-listen to everything we've mentioned too and check out all the releases that these guys have just mentioned. And... Congrats on being the label focus for Rough Trade and to simultaneously have one of your artists as the Rough Trade album of the month. And we'll see you soon. And can you introduce the Kieran Leonard song again, please? Um, this is Kieran Leonard and Living With Your Ailments. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much. Thank you. Keeps one forever bound 
Rough Trade Radio. Washed Out, Mr. Mellow, available in store and online at roughtrade.com. Reviews and subscriptions help to support what we do. So if you like what you hear, then please rate us on iTunes.